The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for March 5th, 2021. This is your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you as always from Oakland, California. It's my birthday today. Happy birthday to me. Very excited that oh so many Years ago, in a hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, the pride of Gloria Young came into this world, her firstborn, and uh, I have always tried to make her proud sense. I know she's a listener to the show, a frequent guest, so thank you, Mom, on my birthday uh, for making all of this possible. I'm sure everybody here listening Thanks you for making all of this possible. And we've got a great show for you. There is an insane idea that a friend of mine brought to me. It is going to be a bracket. It is going to... (laughs) It's going to be one part educational, one part uh, uh, embrace debate, political wonkery, We're going to do what hasn't been done, and that is an amendment bracket. We'll get to that in a second. We will also have a mailbag, including uh, some more conversation about how the world did change after the Spanish flu, Uh, a Canadian perspective on the Keystone Pipeline, the uh, some some local griping about governors during the age of covid and we will get into some nuance of whether or not e-verify is indeed anti-immigration oh and the fiance who yells at the radio that had her fiance yell at me via text because his fiance yelled at the radio, wrote me herself, and I'm very excited to talk to her directly a little bit later on the show. Also, we will have a conversation with Rachel Greenspan. She is a digital culture reporter for Insider, and she was somebody that we brought on to talk about Q. Of course, life is busy, so you may or may not have noticed that Donald Trump was not inaugurated president yesterday. That was something that was rumored by the QAnon folks. We go in to the history of Q and wind up getting into a little bit of our internet culture. Uh, It was was a great conversation. I hope you guys stay around for it. Burn! 
Ladies and gentlemen, a friend of mine called me a few weeks ago and gave me an idea that was very interesting, informative, and a little dangerous. So I had to bring him on because I don't want all the blame if this thing goes sideways, but I also think it's a really good idea. And so he is going to be on the show for the next few weeks as we make our way through this journey. Welcome to the PX3 program, Brian Brush. Uh, yeah, dude, thank you for not also using the adjective uh, irresponsible because it's that too. And 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 I was <laughs> this close to just running off and doing it on my own, stirring the pot, setting fire to my whole Twitter feed, but thank goodness we will share the blame for this. We will. As everybody knows, it's March. And after a legally specific pause, we acknowledge that there is madness in the air and brackets are all the rage. People like voting on them on Twitter and stuff. So Brian calls me and says, I've got an idea for the best political bracket ever. <laughs> and here it is. Friends, we have a 26th entry tournament that will determine the best constitutional amendment ever. Disclaimers, disclaimers, please don't add us. Like, these are your votes. We're going to do this in, in the most open, free, and fair election in the history of anything having to do with the United States government or the Constitution. We're going to do it via Twitter polls. So everything yes. will be transparent and unmanipulatable. Uh, these obviously are highly charged things. <laughs> the amendments <laughs> of the constitution are serious. However, in doing our research and the fact that we already recorded this segment once before I realized that I had screwed up all my seating Practice and we had to run. do it again. It's fine. It's fine. I think Brian and I have both come to the conclusion that this is necessary because it is an education for many of us that otherwise consider ourselves politically literate to just review the amendments of the constitution. And not only that, like if you're going to vote for one amendment over the other, then it forces you to be literate in both. And even better, if you want to argue in public on Twitter, make sure to involve all of us on this, uh, then, then you have to be able to speak passionately, steel man, the other argument, and then destroy it and explain why your amendment is more important also, Justin, I'm not going to lie. The thing that fascinates me the most about this is the fact that I have no idea who is going to win. Because if you went back to 1987 and asked Brian Brushwood, which is the best amendment, he's like, duh, amendment one, freedom of religion, expression, gathering, telling the truth, speaking your mind. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, maybe. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right. So a few very boring bracketology notes up top. Because of the way that this bracket works, that means our one through six seeds, which will be the one through six amendments, are going to get a buy, meaning they will not be contested in the first round. They have an advantage being the oldest amendments. The rest of the amendments are going to be seeded in the order in which they were put into the Constitution with the elimination of the 18th Amendment, which was repealed by the 21st first amendment yeah uh, eight, eight, that, eight, 18th was uh, uh y'all can't drink 
And yes. this has nothing to do with the fact that you're Irish and that later your great, 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 great grandson will be Brian Brushwood. We're just saying in general, y'all shouldn't drink. So we're literally changing a founding father's document to make sure y'all can't drink. And then Amendment 21 was like, psych, in your face. Was, was hold my beer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, you will technically see this represented in the the seeds to this, the seeds past 18 will be slightly different than the amendments themselves. But as we talk about them, we will be referring to them by their actual amendment numbers. So uh, and, and, uh, real quick, Justin, if you could give me like a sports lesson, the buy thing is, is that a case where it's like, man, y'all's Notre Dame don't even show up for the first round. We all know you got uh, this. Basically it's more of a numbers thing of like, this is just the way that we can make everything even up got it. Uh, by the end. Right. Got it. So, got it. Got it. so six teams will get the first off, but Theoretically, you would seed the the best teams, the Notre Dames, the the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Syracuses ahead of everybody else because they're probably going to win anyway. So they get the honor of not playing in the first round. Got it. Okay, so oof, oof. we begin real work. Oh, oh, uh, uh, one last thing. Uh, let me encourage everybody. Like, let's not just vote. Uh, half cocked on this. Like, I, I, I think this will be the most fun exercise if we actually bother to, 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 uh, everybody should advocate for a position. You should yeah. vote your actual content, uh, uh, conscience and your heart. Uh, and, and we should actually read, I mean, this is the schoolhouse rock portion of things. Like, yeah. like this is a real opportunity. We're going to make a dumb spectacle of this, but meanwhile, like I really love the, the, the real sparks that are going to fly. Let's begin round one, the most competitive matchup of the round, Brian, although probably not the most famous, but by the seeding, 16th versus 17th, 16th Amendment gives the ability for Congress to levy an income tax without apportioning it among the various states or basing it on the U.S. Census. The 17th Amendment establishes the direct election of United States senators by popular vote. And just before we begin uh, discussing all of these descriptions are going to come verbatim from the Wikipedia short, short, short version of each amendment. Uh, however, uh, the discussions that I'm sure we're all going to have on Twitter should come from all of us reading the full amendments or whatever. But it sounds to me, sure, if sure. I'm going to be reductionist, uh, it sounds an awful lot like we're deciding between hooray democracy or hooray taxes. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I know who's going to win on this one. Especially this season, like any, right. any amendment about taxes is not, this is not the time of year to be, to be pushing that cart down yeah. the road. I didn't even think about that. Uh, like, like in two months, it might've gone different. Uh, all right. Nine versus, uh, the ninth amendment versus the 25th amendment. The ninth amendment is states, right. Uh, uh, rights that are not enumerated in the constitution are retained by the people. Meaning if it's not, said in this document, just assume the people got it. And the 25th Amendment, one that got a lot of play over the last four years, addresses the succession to the presidency and establishes procedures for filling the vacancy in the office of the uh, president and vice president by responding to presidential disabilities. This was put in after Kennedy when there was a larger question of like, okay, well, what if, you know, what if, what if Jack, was a vegetable for, you know, uh, a, a year. How do we actually constitutionally uh, put put uh, uh, LBJ in power? Right. But lately was talking about 
President Trump on whether or not people thought he, he was mentally able what to have do you. it. Yeah, yeah uh, it's also the basis for uh, the book Alas Babylon and also uh, Battlestar Galactica. The whole conceit of that show is if the president and all the cabinet get blowed up, uh, eventually like the only person left standing is the uh, Secretary of well, Education. No, 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 no. So this, this, isn't, this isn't necessarily the line of succession. This is saying if Let's say Battlestar Galactica was happening, but instead of the president dying, uh, it was just incompetent. They were just in a coma, or yeah, it, it basically like barely competent, and and uh, so much so that the rest of the people around them believed that, all right, that we can't do this, and right. and so that was when when people were saying with Trump that it's like, oh, his cabinet needs to get together and agree by a majority that blah blah blah, uh, he they need to push him out. So what <sighs> do we like? Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, we have one amendment, which is if we didn't say it, you have it. And another amendment that says when he goes crazy or is incompetent, like, please clean up. Uh, I'm pretty sure amendment nine has my vote, but, but again, I, 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 I don't want to be too campaigny on this, but, but, but I'm a fan of nine. All right, here we go. Our next battle, eighth amendment. A restriction on cruel and unusual punishment, uh, as well as uh, prohibiting excessive fines and excessive bail. Right. That goes up against the 26th Amendment, which is prohibiting the the denial of the right of U.S. citizens 18 years of age or older to vote on account of age. So you can't deny somebody the right to vote if they're over 18. Uh, Sorry, one more time, eight. Eight is cruel and unusual punishment, excessive bail, excessive fines. Eight seems pretty foundational. Uh, its opposition seems fairly clerical. Would that be right? Yeah. I mean, like I think it's also... We're, that, we're, we're, we're just sanctifying the magical number 18. Uh, that's the age. You're a real boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also it is like, okay, well, we can't set a law that says, no, in Mississippi, you got to be 21 to vote. Like, like you, you have a right at the age of 18 as an American to vote, no matter what anybody says. Yeah, man. I, to be honest, I did not expect a side effect of this bracket to be that I wanted to amend amendments. <laughs> <laughs> because oh, I'm, I've, I've got a daughter who's about to be 18 and I'm like, hey, is she ready? I don't know. All right, let's move on. The uh, oh, we should also say that that all of these are going to be voted on again on, on our at PX3 tweets account. That is the Twitter account for the podcast. So go ahead and follow that. We'll be doing this on Friday, the day that this podcast comes out. And we'll leave those up for as long as Twitter allows allows polls to be. And 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 uh, uh, not to overpromise on both of our behalf, but this is something that both Justin and I think is really interesting. So we'll probably be fairly involved in the discussions on Twitter. I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. Moving on. Thirteenth Amendment versus the Twenty First Amendment. Thirteenth <laughs> Amendment. Slavery, abolishing oh, no, slavery. No. Oh, no, this escalated too quickly because I know yep. Amendment 21. No, 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 no. Amendment 21 takes out the 18th Amendment, gives everybody the right to drink. Okay, uh, real quick, one more time. It, it, read to me as much as you're able on 13. 
abolishes slavery and involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime. The 21st Amendment repeals the 18th Amendment and makes it a federal offense to transport or import intoxicating liquors into the United States and territories where such is prohibited by law. Okay. This is maybe the most contentious of face-offs. Certainly. um, uh, uh, Okay. Um, Way above my pay grade, but I understand that, that some people have issue with the 13th Amendment. Certainly... The part I like least about the 13th Amendment. Recently, recently there has been, I mean, Kanye West has put uh, a voice to some conservative criticism to the 13th Amendment in terms of, of how it is worded and, and, and that. I'll tell you this much. Even to these virgin ears, the word accept makes me very uncomfortable because it sounds an awful lot like they said, slavery's out, dot, 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 except when we decide that you broke a law, in which case slavery is in. Uh, that is problematic. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Amendment 21, uh, first of all, it was weird, puritanical punk rock that the only amendment that's not on the list, Amendment 18, ever you know somehow prohibited a thing. And then uh, uh, Amendment 21 is even more punk rock with a super majority of saying, ha ha, psych, y'all drink, go. I'll leave that one up to you guys. Uh, That's about as close battle. as I can get to giving a real opinion. I apologize. I'm on a listening no, no, tour. No, God. No, yeah, stop it. Okay. I'm not, I'm, no one's going to be forced to, to get into the nitty gritty on, on uh, defending or attacking the 13th Amendment. Uh, uh, our next battle. 12th Amendment versus the 25th. Oh, sorry. Wait. Here we go. Uh, let, let's start with the 12th Amendment. Revises presidential election procedures by having the president and vice president elected together as opposed to the vice president being the runner up in the presidential election. And that goes up against uh, term limits. The. Uh, uh, there we go. It's uh, sorry, the 22nd Amendment. That is the limits the number of time a person can be elected president of the United States. So I never thought I would say this. Uh, uh, again, uh, uh, numbers of amendments are. The number is uh, the 12th Amendment versus the 22nd. So the 12th Amendment, I think maybe actively has harmed us. And. I don't think you and by I not, ever- by not making so like in in a world where Trump and Biden go head to head and yet they have to deal with each other in government right. afterward, as opposed to you anointing this like weird second in command that might just be there to run after you win two terms. But otherwise, this kind of hood ornament. Yeah, I I I. I- I don't think I'd ever pause to think if, if there's an amendment outside of 18 that doesn't exist, uh, that I actively think didn't do us many favors. I, th- I think this might be the one because, because like uh, we continue to fragment and get more and more broken as a society. So, so, uh, weirdly, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm anti 12th amendment, I guess. All right. Our next battle, 15th amendment versus the 19th amendment. This is a big one. No, 15th amendment. One. 
prohibiting the right, uh, prohibiting the denial of the right to vote based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude versus the 19th Amendment prohibiting the denial of the right to vote based on sex. Okay, so one is a proscriptive assertion of a right based on gender. The other is a... Um, uh, I, I don't know, whatever the reverse is. Like it, I, it no, says no, 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 no. I think they, they're, they're, they are, no, they're both, the, they're both the same. They both prohibit the denial. Okay, but, well, let me throw this out. Uh, one of them is actually keeping to its word because last time I checked, my wife was allowed to vote. But meanwhile, we have amendments that say uh, uh, forced labor, indentured servitude, slavery is unconstitutional except if you broke the law and then we have people who have gone to jail breaking the law and then they are placed on whether or not you call it forced labor or not they're they're placed in a situation to work call centers for 10 cents an hour um uh, uh th those people upon getting back into society i would love to believe I, i'm a firm believer in 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 uh, uh, becoming reformed right like uh, you did a felony you went you did your time you paid your debt to society you come out the other side you should have all the rights uh, that weird thing where it's like if you're a felon you don't get to own a gun and you don't get to vote um i, I don't know i think one of those amendments is not not pulling its weight all right 10th Amendment versus the 26th Amendment. The 10th Amendment states that uh, the federal government possesses only those powers delegated or enumerated to it through the Constitution. So this is kind of like the 9th Amendment, where it's it's kind of double double bagging the idea that not only do rights default to the people, but also it does not default to the government. The government only has the rights that are specifically enumerated in the, and, in the and, Constitution. And, and specifically the federal government. This is basically federal government. The, um, yeah. uh, the, the Ninth Amendment was the people have any rights that aren't mentioned here. Uh, then this is the next level. It's like after the people, your states have all the rights and the government like. And again, how punk rock for the last two amendments to be. And if we didn't say it, you have it and, and come back to us. Uh, and then the 20, sorry, the 24th amendment, which is uh, prohibiting the revocation of voting rights due to the non-payment of a poll tax. Yeah, that's dumb, man. That one sounds like no contest. Uh, I, are, are, are you a big state's rights guy? I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm, I'm a, Big fan of the idea that America is this quilt patchwork where good and bad ideas can thrive or die as fast as possible. Yes, um, and and they should but, do so. But that being in a, said, that in, being said, hold on, hold on. I don't want to. I don't want to sleep here on the twenty fourth amendment, though. Uh, the concept, the tyranny of poll taxing or government using your the ability to take away your vote by way of any tax that they can figure out a way to levy that's that's kind of, that's back to our tyranny and i do think that that patching that bug is really important in in a free society and not only that that's also a very clever sly way to um enforce uh classism or uh you know uh, back to our racism or what have you yeah where it's just like uh, uh yeah all right yeah okay uh, more credit, but but still. Seventh like, Amendment. Mm. Seventh Amendment. 
That's uh, our next battle. Seventh Amendment is uh, the right to a jury trial in civil lawsuits. And that goes head to head uh, with the ability to, uh, sorry, the, te- the, the 27th Amendment that delays laws affecting congressional salary from taking effect until after the next election of representatives. Uh, yeah, moving on. <laughs> Not sure there's much think, to you even... You think a jury trial? A jury, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, well, yeah. well and, and specifically, it, it is interesting that... That, it, one, that, it, one, that one is definitely listed at a minus, a minus 14. Uh, uh, there, there's a big, heavy double-digit spread on jury trial well, over delaying the laws affecting congressional salary. If I'm going to be my most charitable, I would say that the jury trial, the tricky thing there is that it says for civil lawsuits, which means that essentially... You, Justin, and me, Brian, have a disagreement, and somehow the federal government will provide at their own expense an entire jury for us to settle our differences. That That is weird because we are having a private disagreement, and, and some might ask, is it the job of the federal government to provide a, you know, a game show set for us to settle things on? Um, so so I, I, I can understand the weakness of that, but meanwhile— what was the other one? Uh, 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 something hooray for the Senate. Boo. It's just basically like you can't screw with a congressman's salary while they are still in that term. I, I, so I it's actively like if you want to screw with all of their salaries all of the time. All right, here we go. 14th Amendment in is uh, uh, starring in our next battle. That is basically a cleanup of the Civil War when it comes to citizenship. It basically redefines post-Civil War citizenship. So everybody's like, all right, well, in the merger, since you guys did, we had, we had, we had a hostile split and then we're reacquiring the Confederacy. So we're going to go ahead and give you citizenship again. It also contains the Privileges or Immunities Clause, the Due Process Clause, the Equal Protection Clause, and does a lot of other uh, uh, Civil War fixing. Uh, that goes up against, uh, and by the way, uh, most recently, I believe there's a provision in there that says something about like, um, you can hold office as long as you've never actively tried to, uh, uh, uh rise up against the government. And, uh, 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 for some reason that's been in the news recently is all he said. Yeah. And that goes up against the 20th Amendment. It changes the dates on which the terms of the president and vice president and members of Congress begin and end uh, to January 20th and January 3rd, respectively. And it states that if the president-elect dies before taking office, the vice president is to be inaugurated as the president. So, in other words, once everyone votes, no backdoors, no tricky sneakeroos, it's like the people have decided. Yeah, it, it it changes so, uh, uh, and this is something that we're actually going to talk about in our interview. It's going to take place after this about QAnon, but the the presidential inauguration used to be March fourth, and so this officially set that from March to January. So both on presidential terms and in congressional terms, and then also said if you are the president and you die, if a president elect and you die before you're inaugurated. There's no new election. The vice president just becomes the president. I think 
an economist would very much approve of this amendment because it would remove any incentive to would-be assassins uh, where it's like, hey, man, you can kill the guy, but that just means his backup is ready to go. Yeah. All right. Here's our final first-round battle. The 11th Amendment. Make states immune from suits from out-of-state citizens and foreigners not living within the state borders and lays the foundation for state sovereign immunity. So that's why you can only sue somebody from things that happened within that state. And our 23rd Amendment grants the District of Columbia electors in the Electoral College. Man, this is this is uh, I believe South Park did an episode on this choice. Uh, they uh, uh, so you got the one. This is the reason that a bunch of corporations I mean, I, I, look, are, you're, are in Delaware, technically. So you have to sue in Delaware or whatever. Well, yeah, that that is that is a a a part of it. Right. But if you're if, if you're the one who was going on about states rights before this, this basically just enshrines the ability that. Uh, of you know the federal government or another larger state can't just you know sue a smaller state into servitude. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I'm I'm fairly neutral on this one. I'm, I I don't have a hot take. Well, there we go. Again, go to at px three tweets, and we will be putting all of these up on Friday, so you can get your votes in. Uh, we will leave them up for a couple days, and then we will bring Brian back. Uh, for the next few weeks as we go through. And again, next week, all of the big boys join the fray. That is the First Amendment, freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, and the right to petition the government. The Second Amendment, the keep and right to bear arms. The Third Amendment, the quartering of soldiers in private homes. The Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure. The Fifth Amendment, rules for indictment by grand jury and eminent domain. The right to due process, self-incrimination, and double jeopardy. And the Sixth Amendment, the right to a speedy public trial by jury. The, notif uh, the notification of criminal uh, accusations and to confront the accuser, obtain witnesses, and retain counsel. So all the laws. Dude, I'm so stoked. I can't wait. All right, we'll see what happens. Happy voting. It's madness. We march on. Uh, I have a fever for brackets. It's bracket fever. Catch it. Politics, politics. They ask me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I showed it. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. We begin this week from Rennell. Rennell writes, you know, I was wondering about that email that the guy said that nothing really changed after 9-11, which we all kind of know was BS. But I can sense a few things did change from the Spanish flu pandemic. I remember reading an article that prior to the pandemic, it was common for restaurants and bars to have a split barrel. It's the thing you often see in Western movies. That common practice ended after the Spanish flu. Also, one major change uh, was that societies from around the world, the West, the Far East, Latin America, and the Middle East, that had embraced science for the most part, they also had some sort of backing against medicine for a bit. It became more popular for the average American citizen, for example, to embrace alternative treatments. 
This was much worse in non-Western societies where they were more like living in medieval societies. After the pandemic, societies from around the world, however, embraced medicine in a much more modern way, where treatments and vaccines were much more at the forefront of the research. It was through that that we had an explosion of vaccines. The most common one was smallpox at the time, but vaccines for chickenpox, measles, rubella, polio, they didn't exist until the Spanish flu. We had an explosion of medical treatments as well. Also, public health departments in various parts of the world began to be established and help foster and birth the growth of epidemiology. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know enough about the Spanish flu to know, well, rather, let me, let me restate that. I don't know enough about pre-Spanish flu society to know materially and culturally what changed. However, when we look at what I think is going to be a, a change for good and for ill uh, past this, I, I do think that we're going to use a verbal marker much like 9-11. You know, when you're telling a story and it's about how you used to catch a flight and you have to use the... The, the qualifier of like, and this is pre 9-11, to, to kind of just reset the idea that like, well, nobody could possibly make it to the airport and on a plane in 30 minutes. Well, you know, back in 98, you could. I think that we're probably going to do that for, for the pandemic. We're, we're going to say someone's going to be telling a story in the next two years and it's going to be about something and they're going to have to use the qualifier. And this was pre-COVID. Derek writes, I'm a Canadian fan of yours, living in the Texas of Canada, Alberta. Our province has a ridiculously large amount of money tied up in that Keystone Pipeline, which of course was just struck down by executive order. I'm pretty sure I know the answer. But at this point, is there anything that will change the outlook of Keystone? Our provincial leadership has decided to take money and put it in oil and gas instead of renewables. So I'm pretty sure we're screwed. Derek, I don't know if you're screwed. Because Biden is a very... I don't know what, what, what the best word is to say here. Uh, I would not be shocked if Joe Biden gets all the credit for making an executive order that temporarily halts Keystone and then as part of some trade package with Canada or some union deal or, or something else, very quietly Keystone is kind of reactivated. It is a massive connection point between Canada and the United States. There is a lot of union interest in it. So I don't think it's dead just yet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dig up that pipeline just yet. Ben writes, I'm sure that others have had similar thoughts, but I want to write to formally withdraw my previous criticism of your Cuomo thoughts in regards to coronavirus deaths. Pandemic aside, this dude's a monster, and my thoughts on him were subject to Giuliani levels of 9-11 distortion. And by the way, I'd never liked Giuliani. Even after 9-11, I thought I was immune. I was not. Benny, 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 this is, look, it's very simple. It's very simple. Listen to the PX3 show. You take my takes, 
You repeat them as your own. You don't credit me at all. And now you can reap the rewards because I'm ahead of the game. You steal my takes, you repeat them, and now you're the smartest guy in the room. I'm just here to supply you guys. I'm like a multi-level marketer for takes. Take my takes as your own. Somebody else is going to hear you and you're going to be right and you're going to go do one of those Cuomo things where everybody's like, Cuomo's the best, the love gov. He's so dreamy. And you're like, eh, I don't know, man. He killed a lot of people and he's kind of gross. And next thing you know, all of a sudden covering up the nursing home scandals. He is gross with a capital G. And people are going to be like, man, you want to know what? Ben, you said that early. You're smart and you're you're just going to smile. And you're going to know that someone's going to come to you and they're going to start stealing your takes. And then your take goes down the road. This is my way to become take rich. Take it from me. The take multi-level marketing master, Justin R. Young. The R stands for return on take investment. Kim G writes, in Missouri, where I live, Governor Parsons is a moron and he's handling COVID terribly. There's a surplus of vaccines in rural areas and a shortage in the cities of St. Louis and Kansas City. People are having to drive for hours to go get their vaccines that should have come to them. Is this particular type of uh, problem an issue in other states? Well, uh, I think we could probably have people write in the young American at gmail.com if they do have a COVID vaccine horror story. But in general, I, I, I've heard anecdotally like, a couple of weeks ago that, yo, it's easier to get a vaccine in Fresno than it is in San Francisco or Oakland. But in general, I don't I don't know if it's if it's a massive thing, it might be a small scale thing. The one thing I will say, though, Kim, is that you could run the distribution of vaccines in America a billion times and a billion times people would be pissed off about it. There is no correct way to give 330 million people the life-saving serum and have everybody be happy about it. Impossible. Joey writes, I loved your interview with Heaton. You guys mesh so well together. But I do need to nitpick a point. Andrew said that Mittens Romney was being anti-immigration by wanting to tie an increase in minimum wage to requiring E-Verify. That is not anti-immigration. It's anti-illegal immigration. If you are here legally, this will not hurt your ability to get a job. It's just one extra form that gets processed automatically online. If the company you're applying to does a background check, it will not delay your start date any more than the regular background checks already do. Joey, I know this is a bugaboo on the right that any kind of illegal immigration check becomes folded into lazily anti-immigration. It's a rhetorical crutch. It's a lazy one. And I will do better. Finally, this is a doozy. May. May is... Mike's fiance who yells at the radio. If you remember last week, we got an email from Mike saying that he's got a fiance who yells at the radio. And 
Uh, he asked uh, the questions that she was asking. Well, guess what? We're getting it straight from the source now. No stepped on information. May has written in herself. Hello, Justin. First, I want to say that your podcast is about the only news coverage I can stand these days. I do get frustrated listening to the news, and admittedly, I do comment and reply to things I hear. Although your show invokes more of a, I wonder, comment, rather than a, what an effing idiot diatribe. So let's start. Number one, unemployment. I wonder how the antiquated unemployment system in Florida is affecting the unemployment numbers reported. It's my understanding, and I'm very likely wrong, that unemployment numbers that are reported are based on new and active claims within each state's unemployment benefit system. Per an NPR program we heard a while back, that's where I'm getting this information. They said that individuals who were denied benefits are still waiting on benefits, as well as a smaller portion who reported they didn't even try to apply would not count toward that number. I was interested in your take on this. May, I'm going to have to eat a little crow here. At least one person hit me up on Twitter. And as a strong Florida man to Florida man convo, he said, look, dude, I've applied for unemployment in Florida. I applied for unemployment in Michigan. And I got to tell you, the Michigan system was a million times easier. So it's not just that applying for unemployment is annoying everywhere. Florida has an especially annoying system. So in that case, I could and would say that indeed there might be some element of people that are not applying because the system is too complicated. That being said, I have no idea how many. And when I am trying to formulate an argument, unless I've got reason to believe that it is an overwhelming number, if it's an unknowable number, I just have to write it off. She continues, my comments on the individuals in the service industry were that unemployment pays a fraction of what your reported income is based on past tax returns. A fair number of people that I know tend to omit some of their cash income from what they tell Uncle Sam about this in the world of bartenders and waiters. This on paper means that they don't make quite as much as they really do. Because of this, the amount that they are eligible for with unemployment, for some, is not worth the effort of the unemployment system. I was also interested in what your thoughts would be if there's any realistic way to actually parse the numbers of this uh, and to see if it would cause any sort of real discrepancy. All right, May, you want to know what? You're a lot better at writing me emails than your than your fiance is. I will admit right now that when I was a waiter at the Buca de Beppo on University Drive, big shout out to the Buca de Beppo on University Drive in Davie, Florida, right around the corner from the Dolphins practice facility. God, it would make me so happy if somebody... Somebody who works there is listening to this show. Uh, I did not report everything. You know? In fact, it was there that one of my favorite metaphors for service industry work was given to me by a wizened 
a wizened waiter, it, a very Florida stereotype where he was a waiter by night and a dive instructor by day, a zen, a zen guy. And he's like, man, you know, waiting tables is kind of like being at the worst ATM in the world. It takes way too long and you got to jump through too many steps, but eventually $200 pops out. <laughs> And you know when you got two hundred dollars cash, then sometimes you you just you just don't report everything that came in. So I I I can sympathize with the idea that maybe if you lose your job, you don't want to apply for unemployment. However, that would simultaneously be an argument for Ron DeSantis' decision to be more aggressive on the ability for people to be able to work. If you can't if, if unemployment is not going to be a big reward for you and you can't work from home like a service industry job does not allow for, then keeping these businesses not only in operation, but also to stop them from going out of business. So now you are in the job market while things are recovering is a little bit more of a pressing concern than, let's say, in a place like the Bay Area, where they obviously have service industry jobs, but it's not an oversized portion of the economy, and a lot of people in the Bay Area can work from home. So it's a little bit of a different situation. May continues. Regarding out-of-state Florida residents, I was only wondering if there was any way to get an accurate count of how many of those may have passed. I don't think it's a significant percentage, but as somebody who generally enjoys data like that, I'm curious as to what they would be. May, we agree. I'd like to know. She wraps it up. Thank you for your time regarding this and PX3 in general. During COVID, the only way that me and my fiance like to take a break from the monotony of everyday feeling like the same is to go on rides around the small towns in New England where we recently moved from Deerfield Beach. PX3 is part of our Sunday rotation to podcast and uh, while we take in what the Northeast has to offer through our car windows. May, thank you so much for writing in. And let me take this time to give a totally unsolicited shout out to Deerfield Beach. Love Deerfield Beach. Deerfield Beach is, is if you're ever down there in South Florida, of course, people are going to want to go to South Beach. If you're into paying a lot of money for the same beach that's all throughout the, the, the South Coast of Florida, that's cool. Go do that. Some people are really into Fort Lauderdale Beach. That's like a little bit of a, a, a more trashy version of South Beach, but a lot of the same expensive stuff. You can do that. If you are local to Broward, you might be tempted to go to Hollywood Beach because it's right next to, in fact, it's south of Fort Lauderdale Beach. It's my sentimental favorite because it was the one that we went to when I was a kid. But the real local, the real local knows that Deerfield Beach is the best. Same thing, less crowded, got a nice little downtown area, got a great restaurant. The Whale's Rib is an awesome seafood restaurant. It's got a Flanagan's. So if you really want that Florida experience, go down there, get yourself four gigantic green Flanagan's cup and you will know that you are a true Floridian because there is no Floridian household that doesn't have like four gigantic green Flanagan's cups that have been there since 1981. Anyway, there we go. 
That wraps it up for our mailbag. If you would like to write in, then go ahead and do it at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. I have no idea whether doing this bracket is a good idea, but I hope you guys are able to engage with it. I hope it's a good time. I hope that we are able to continue to build this community. We can build this community wherever you'd like to engage with it. At Free Political Newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. You can sign up there for free. You can hit up our Discord, bit.ly slash jury discord, J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D. But the one place where you get bonus content, the one place where you can support this enterprise, and I think we need it now more than ever. I think if we actually want to do the work on our political discourse, if we actually want to do the work on getting educated, if we actually want to do the work on making politics not such a hellhole, it's got to be done when it's quiet. And this is the first time that it's been quiet in a really long time. I I genuinely believe that we are at a moment of choosing, of decision, of healing. And if you would like to have more of that in your life, then I suggest you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Because it is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you can sign up at our $3 level. What does that get you? Well... It gets you 104 bonus podcasts if you are at that level for a year. That's right. 104 bonus podcasts if you are with us at that level for one calendar year. That's a lot of content. And it ain't skimpy stuff neither. No, these are basically the the, the first segment of a regular show. It, it's basically all the show except this advertising segment and the interview. So if you only listen to the, uh, if you only listen to the free version, give it a try. Make this month the time that you go ahead over there to takepoliticsseriously.com and try it out. $3 Club is where you need to go. 104 bonus podcasts if you are at that level for a year. Our guest today is Rachel Greenspan. She is a digital culture reporter for Insider. They have a lot of different insider, political insider, business insider. They just call it Insider now. So that's what we're going with. We're going to talk all about QAnon here, especially since it it appears that Donald Trump was not inaugurated yesterday. We did record this a couple days before, so just be aware. Hey, welcome to the show, Rachel. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is a subject that I've been I've been looking for somebody to talk about for a while because I, I I'm fascinated by message boards in general as somebody who grew up on the Internet through the, the, the 90s. I think, you know, 
before there was an internet culture, there was a message board culture. So you've you've watched these kind of communities grow and fight and split up and have influence and uh, uh, people go on to do certain things. And and this seems to be probably the most discussed version of a metastasized or uh, harmful internet culture that we have seen. So let's let's start here verifiably for people who have never heard of this phenomenon what is QAnon what is QAnon all right so QAnon at the most basic level is a baseless far-right conspiracy theory alleging that President Trump and his allies have been fighting a deep state cabal of elite figures including Democrats celebrities rich people wealthy philanthropists who are pedophiles and who are running this massive global child trafficking ring. Um, And now that Trump is out of office, the conspiracy theory movement, which has kind of branched off into having its hands in kind of every conspiracy theory you can imagine, anti-vaccination, COVID conspiracy theories, you know, they've kind of just made their way into every other kind of conspiracy theory movement. Um, you know, Trump is still at the center there. Um, and they even think that he will be re-inaugurated at some point in March. Um, so there's really no end in sight to their ability to keep kind of shifting this. I, I, I think we idea. should we should also make note that we are recording this on March 3rd. The 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 conspiracy goes that Trump will be inaugurated on March 4th, which was the original inauguration date for the presidency before it was moved up many, many years ago. So indeed, if yes. we run this on March 5th, when it when it, when it will run, and Trump has been re-inaugurated, then we will have egg on our face. But uh, uh, I think we're going <laughs> to presume that that will yeah, not happen. Yeah, I think happen. we're safe. I think we're okay. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the mythology, right? That that is That is the mythology around the concept of... Uh, QAnon, who is Q within this mythology? Uh, so Q is kind of seen as we can, if Trump is the God of the movement, Q is the first prophet. He's Jesus, if you will. Um, Q for, is the first person who posted first on 4chan in 2017, claiming to be this person with high level government clearance called Q clearance. Uh, calling himself Q Clearance Patriot. He was one person in a or figure in a long line of other anonymous Patriot type people who tried to, you know, make claims that they had this high level security clearance and new new secret government uh, information uh, and post about it on on uh, fringe platforms like 4chan. But this Q figure said, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be arrested soon for uh for trafficking and and it's going to be this huge mass arrest of this secret cabal of child traffickers and that one random 4chan post uh from 2017 which of course happened in the wake of pizzagate so everyone was already hating hillary clinton already thinking hillary clinton's a pedophile based on that 2016 conspiracy theory when i say everyone i mean fringe far right people people who are yeah or, or in on in on this particular uh train of thought Exactly. People who are, you know, existing in these online spaces and communities and basically a few QAnon people who would 
go on to become QAnon influencers, as we call them, uh, picked up this post and began talking about it in YouTube videos and spreading it in other groups. And uh, Q really became this kind of revered, respected figure, even though his first first uh, prophecy of Clinton being arrested was obviously false and did not come true. Uh, he kind of just gained momentum. I think people were partly looking for something new post Pizzagate. Um, and it, it was kind of the perfect reiteration of that. So let's put a pin in QAnon for a second and talk a little bit about 4chan from whence this initially came. Uh, for, for folks who are not aware, 4chan is an anonymous board where you post and, and there is limited even uh, identification of anybody who is posting anonymously over and over and over again. You have to you have to kind of go out of your way to prove that. Uh, but it is also hostile, I think, is probably a, a general theme for for 4chan, including internally. Uh, so a lot of the things that are posted within 4chan are violently attacked. It's not like this is necessarily a safe space for any idea, although certainly some wind up becoming more popular than others. Why do you think 4chan in that moment post-Trump winning, there was obviously a lot of recalibration culturally uh, uh, in in America and, and the world at that moment because something very unexpected had happened why do you think 4chan was the place where this found an audience initially? I think because whoever Q is, which it should be said, there we don't know who it is. There's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that it's probably, uh, this figure is probably in some part linked to Jim and Ron Watkins, who ran 8chan, which Q jumped from 4chan to, to 8chan pretty yeah. soon after uh, he began. And then 8chan does not exist anymore. It's now 8kun. Anyway, um, I think, you know, whoever that person was knew that that was where the audience was. You yeah. know, the audience for this kind of conspiracy theory was on 4chan looking for this kind of content, looking for, you know, the latest news on, on Hillary Clinton. Because, I mean, remember Pizzagate, which was basically a full year before Q first posted, uh, Pizzagate was hugely popular. People around the country really did believe that, you know, Hillary Clinton and her aides were hosting a child trafficking ring out of this Comet, pizza restaurant Comet Washington. pizza and ping pong in, in Washington, yeah. D.C. For, for those, the, the, the real quick five-cent tour on, on Pizzagate is that the uh, elite level of uh, Democratic uh, uh, leadership, including Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin and uh, uh, her aides, were involved in pedophilia and child trafficking, and it was happening in the basement of this D.C. pizzeria, uh, and that, of course, was capped off by a man with a gun looking to free the trapped children, only to find that, indeed, it was just a pizzeria and not the house of horrors for which had been painted in his head. Exactly. Perfectly said. Uh, and it's actually, it's just really interesting because when that happened, December, 2016, Edgar Madison Welch, this guy in his twenties with two kids drives from another state to DC with a gun and goes into this pizza restaurant. He, he tells police later and in the New York times, he, he told them in an interview, you know, he, he really believed that he had to go in there and save these kids. He, he really thought that that, that there were children in danger, you know, in the basement of this pizza restaurant. And even after he went in and shot it up, 
you know, he said to police. Well, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't shoot, right? He brought the gun in, but he, did he, did he fire the gun or? I believe he fired the gun once. Okay. We fact check this, but I believe he fired it once. Didn't, didn't hit anyone, but like into a door. Gotcha. I think he hit it into a door to get into. Uh, But it was clear when he was in there, I, from, from interviews that he did, it seems clear that he realized once he was in there that there were no kids. Um, And he actually said, the intel on this was not 100%. And so, you know, someone who was actually inspired to violence directly from this wild fringe conspiracy theory based in zero fact, you know, admitting, okay, maybe the intel wasn't 100%. And yet a, a year later, the same exact kind of conspiracy theory comes and it becomes, you know, it, it makes millions of people believe it. It's just wild. You know, I, I, I think that, Partly, the the thing that gave voice to to Pizzagate, that gave voice to QAnon, is this cultural idea that there are secret documents and sometimes they right. get leaked, right? And we saw that with WikiLeaks. We saw that with DC Leaks. And, and that is a phenomenon that has stretched beyond political boundaries uh, of people. I mean, we've watched... Uh, Julian Assange go from a hero to the left to a villain of the left from a he- from a, a villain on the right to a, a hero to elements of, of 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 the libertarian right. This is something that has kind of danced around, and so if you're then going to take that one step forward, if we're now to believe that okay, there is there are secrets, and in our internet age, they can get out, then everything on some level is 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 possible, and that kind of gets us back to Q. The first time that I heard of QAnon was after the 2016 election, and I realized that I was deficient in paying attention to whatever the, the movement that was that powered Donald Trump. I, I If I was going to be smart at my job, I needed to understand it more than kind of the caricature that I was, I was reading and obviously was kind of misled by. Uh, and so I was on... The then functioning the underscore Donald page on Reddit. And it was the, the underscore Donald people that were making fun of Q people right. for, for believing in this alternate reality game where uh, uh, all this crazy stuff was, was, was happening. So what I find a gulf between when I read about the idea that QAnon is this super pervasive element of uh, uh, beyond, I mean, let, let, let's not even say Republican voters, but let's even say diehard Trump supporters in the wild. That's never seemed true to me that they are an element of it. I think that they would more likely describe themselves as Trump supporters than like uh, another political ideology, but they seem a, a, a fringe of that subsection. Is there any sense from your research that they are more widespread than that? I think QAnon until 2019 was definitely just kind of a fringe subset of the MAGA world. But actually before 2019, in 2018, we started to see tons of QAnon paraphernalia at regular Trump rallies across the country. You know, it was clearly visually having a, having a presence. Um, but today... You know, I mean, someone who still supports Trump today in the sense that, like, I mean, anyone who believes that Trump 
did win the election, that belief is influenced by QAnon. The entire the big lie. It, it, does, it doesn't it. have to be though, right? I mean, because because you can you can still it could it, it could be rooted in people believing that Nixon got job by Kennedy in 1960. The the idea that that Democrats are 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 cheating behind the scenes is you know that was around before Q was around. No, absolutely. What what I don't mean uh, in terms of kind of their personal belief and their personal motivation, but you know even unbeknownst to some of them is the fact that QAnon played a huge role in popularizing uh, this whole stop the steal movement last fall. Okay. Um, QAnon influencers really hammered home this idea kind of QAnon's whole thing is that it will adapt and shift to fit the needs of society, to fit the needs of, of its believers. And so, you know, over the summer when there were suddenly all of these save the children rallies around the world uh, focused on ending child trafficking. That was all a result of QAnon spreading this idea online that, you know, parents should be paranoid because someone's going to snatch up your kid and put him in a child trafficking ring. So then suddenly this fall, when Trump lost the election, they immediately pivoted to like totally focusing on this stop the steal effort. And a lot of Trump's own tweets and statements about his perceived, you know, stolen election uh, came directly from QAnon influencers themselves, like Ron Watkins uh, kind of originated the, Domin the Dominion conspiracy theory, which went on to be kind of the main uh, MAGA sentiment in terms of, you know, reasons for claiming that Trump had falsely lost. Um, and so, uh, you know, QAnon really is pervasive now in the sense that it's been able to influence so many, so many different uh, facets of not only right wing politics, but also, you know, this entire save save the children thing has kind of created this paranoia among demographics of parents. Is there a follow the money to this? Because anything in in general, I mean, that's what you always learn in 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 journalism school is is follow the money. That that if anything this big is happening. There's got to be money changing hands and you can probably find out the 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 rivulets of power if you trace them back to the the, the source of who is landing the dollars. So do, do we have any idea that people are making money on this? Absolutely. I mean, on a small scale, there are tons of influencers who make money from pay, like, you know, think well, Patreon is trying to ban most QAnon people, so not Patreon specifically, but yeah. different mechanisms online to to get money in their pockets for from fans of their own QAnon uh, advocacy, basically. Um, so a lot of there are a lot of people making you know a small sum of money for spreading this to people who you know n people rely on QAnon influencers to know where to turn, to know what to think, to know what to believe in, especially with something like March Fourth. You know that is that all of this is coming from QAnon influencers rather than Q himself, because Q hasn't even posted since December. So, you know, the real leaders of this movement now are these influencers who are absolutely making money off of this. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, at a kind of larger scale, that's why there's been a lot of research and a lot of, a lot of reporting recently into, you know, how connected Jim Watkins and Ron Watkins have been to Q. Uh, QAnon is, easily the biggest driver of traffic to Akun, formerly 8chan, uh, which Jim Watkins owns. 
his son Ron has resigned from his position as uh, the operator of that site, but Jim still owns it. And so, you know, he obviously has a financial incentive to keep this going. You know, he has ads on his website that is mostly having eyeballs because of QAnon. Um, So he, you know, really stands to make a lot of money from this. Um, But there are also other people. There are Etsy sellers. Well, no longer Etsy because Etsy is also trying to ban them. But there are people making T-shirts that say QAnon, people that make stickers, hats, mugs, everything like that. I wrote a story a while back about, you know, all the people filing uh, patent applications and trademark applications for for QAnon products, you know, trying to make businesses just selling selling QAnon paraphernalia. Um, so it's really kind of, I mean, it's, yeah. So there's, there's definitely money to be made and money is being made. But that, that seems more like cottage industry stuff and not like somebody's right. starting like a mega church, right? Like there's, there's a, right. you know, they, they, we're talking about the people selling paraphernalia outside as people are walking into the ball game, not necessarily who owns the franchise that, uh, that is selling tickets. Uh, so there's, there's no one gigantic, like, all right, well, everybody needs to do- donate to the Q Defense Fund and 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 we can, you know, see there. that That is amorphous, aside from, as you mentioned, the influencers. And that's where I want to get next. Because you mentioned before the idea that Q has, even in the world of, you know, it's it's interesting to even think of 4chan as mainstream, right? But if that, if, if, if that is something that Q could not stay on, it had to migrate to another board and then had to migrate to another board after that. I just want to walk through that steps with you. What happened to make Q leave 4chan? I honestly don't think it's ever been fully explained why Q left 4chan. Okay. Um, from, from, from what I understand, uh, he, he, I shouldn't say he, Q disappeared from 4chan and then re- just reemerged on 8chan. Um, and, and so this, this in- for, for our, uh, we're, we're, we're going to try to walk through because I know there's a lot of people that are, are, are not quite as fringe message board literate as, as, as some of these terms might, might sound. 4chan, uh, is probably the most popular board for, uh, anonymous, unfettered communication. They leave and then go to 8chan as all, anybody who's been on a message board knows all message boards eventually live to die. They they will they will fall into drama and, and people will move on to another thing. So 8chan is another version of the same idea. Anonymous uh, uh, commenting back and forth. Q then lands there. And then right. 8chan itself goes away? So first what happens is, and it's January 2018, so Q has existed for about a year at this point. Um, or not not, not a year. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I keep misspeaking now. Um, Q has existed for, for s- some number of months at this point and stops posting on 4chan and starts posting on 8chan, which is, as you said, very similar, just a fringe message board that often breeds hate and this extremely is, offensive content. Yeah, so so if, imagine 4chan is a place where unfettered communication can happen and that results in whatever heinous mm-hmm. stuff is normally said, and then the people that believe that is too censored leave to start another thing. Uh, you know, if, if, if 4chan is Dr. Pepper, this is Mr. Pibb, it's basically the same thing, but a little different. 
and and that has five degrees more uh, of heinous stuff because people believe that this is where the true unfettered conversation is. Q moves there, and then what happens to 8chan? So when Q moves there, first, the it's the Watkins who are able to say to Q followers, oh, we can identify he has the same trip code kind of you know, akin to your username on other social media platforms. It's a, it's a way for them to verify that it's allegedly, according to them, the same poster who was posting as Q on 4chan. Um, and so then he posts there for a while. Uh, then 8chan gets taken down uh, because it was linked to mass shooters who had, you know, posted their screeds on 8chan before yep. committing these these crimes. So 8chan, 8chan goes offline um, because people... Uh, the businesses uh, supporting it online cut ties with them. And so the website fell down and the Watkins a uh, couple after, after a couple months of HN not existing in which Q does not post anywhere else. Q is just silent while HN is down. Uh, the Watkins open eight coon. And soon after, what do you know? Q starts posting there again, identified by the same Trip code. Trip code. That, that, and, 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 and the Watkins now are the verifiers. They are the ones right. since they have moved twice to boards that they have owned. It is people taking the Watkins at their word that indeed this is the genuine article and not just, you know, a, a, a three children in a Q trench coat, for lack of a better metaphor. Exactly. And that's why a lot of people believe that, you know, whether the one of the Watkins themselves were posting as Q or whether they just know who the person is. Uh, you know, they're the only people who kind of have access to the hard data of, of where these messages are coming from. Um, and so there's been a lot of research in, into that, uh, that kind of relationship. So if 8chan is taken down, where is 8coon hosted then? I, I I think it's an out-of-American, a, a, a non-American oh, yeah, server. Yeah, yeah. yeah because I, 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 if I remember correctly, they went to a, a you know, a non-American service that, you know, uh, the likes of which that, you know, Gab and now Parler have kind of uh, used, right. Infowars, stuff like that. There, there are places that, you know, that are outside of the sort of sphere of influence of American hosting that is by and large dominate dominated by a few companies. Uh, here's my kind of more philosophical question for you. If Q has kind of been chased off the, 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 the polite civilized internet, not only in terms of <laughs> listing, but also in terms of hosting. And yet, as you said earlier, remains as pervasive as he has, is that in and of itself kind of an argument against the idea of effective moderation and banning and 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 deplatforming? If if this idea has been buried as deep as as we have tools to bury it, and yet it has flowered in these kinds of ways, I mean that is the question, right? Um, one thing to point out is in the case of other kind of extreme terrorist groups, including ISIS, you know, they're deplatformed. Uh, you can't post on Twitter about how you're a member of ISIS. 
And yet, obviously, that group still exists and still yeah. has recruitment measures. And so, you know, just because you remove some already pretty fringe movement from mainstream spaces online doesn't mean they're going to disappear totally. And so there's a lot of debate uh, in the extremism researcher community uh, as to, you know, whether deplatforming, it can be partly dangerous in that, you know, when Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all these platforms rid themselves of these people, they find more dangerous spaces to communicate without moderation. So now QAnon is largely living on Gab and Telegram, where there's basically zero moderation. You can say whatever you want. You can openly say that, you know, if March 4th doesn't go as expected, we're going to stage a violent revolution. You know, you can make these violent uh, claims. And I should say it's not just QAnon, it's other far-right extremists on these platforms now, Crowd Boys, uh, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, you know, just anti-government, sovereign citizens, all of these kinds of people are now, you know, not, no longer in plain sight, um, which to, on one side of things is okay because the researchers and the law enforcement agencies who are looking into these groups and making sure that they don't cause violence know where they are, even though the general public doesn't. Um, but also there's the danger that people people who, you know, if I'm someone who I saw an Instagram post from an influencer who, not necessarily a QAnon influencer, but a lifestyle blogger influencer who starts spreading QAnon, I see her post and, and I get kind of inspired and I'm like, you know what, save the children, uh, stop human trafficking, like vaguely QAnon stuff. That kind of recruitment is much less common now because, you know, those kinds of Instagrams can't be posted. So, so that's good. Theoretically, you know, people, people who are no, who are not yet at all radicalized have less of a chance of becoming radicalized in their normal online spaces. But then, you know, if I see that post and start getting interested in QAnon and someone says, Oh, we can't talk about it here. We have to go, we have to go in this telegram channel, da, da, da then you're going to be kind of like further radicalized because that's a much more fringe, much more dangerous kind of no man's land place. I, I, I got to tell you, Rachel, it really is something that I'm, I'm, I don't know what side of the line I'm on there because I, 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 I do think that there's a, there's a great danger to truly othering people that have ideas that could lead to violence. Like if, if there is, if there right. like a lot of people for a very long time have had very bizarre, sometimes I think toxic or corrosive ideas and they wound up living in places like magazines and, and, uh, uh you know, physical meetups and stuff like that, where they weren't recorded. We couldn't see them. There was no moment where somebody could click a button with a flag on it and say, I'm upset that this is here. And as long as nobody shot up anything and, uh, uh, you know, or staged a violent revolution, then life just kind of moved on. There, there were, there were people that we disagreed with. I don't know if the fact that we can watch the seeds of it make us more prone to, like you said, fully radicalize people by ostracizing them from, from our, whatever collective community we have online. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's really difficult too, because as we saw recently, you know, Democrats are trying to really other and villainize QAnon by, you know, 
making fun of Republicans for supporting QAnon believers, which, you know, that's obviously not going to not going to deprogram any of these people (laughs) who are essentially brainwashed by what is clearly in some form a cult. Yeah. Uh, And and also, I mean, I I, I don't I wish I had the the, the numbers right in front of me, but there's a recent poll of like Republicans or no, no, it was Trump supporters, just Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. And it was like favorable view of QAnon was 9%. The vast majority either didn't agree with it or had no idea what QAnon was. QAnon in, in, in many ways exists where uh, uh, in, in media coverage of it as a dangerous thing or in these influencers. And, and that's, that's a, that's a crazy, a crazy dichotomy to, to kind of wrestle with that. It's like there, there doesn't seem to be a ton of critical mainstream, like, Oh no, Q's Q's the best. It, it exists in these small forums and with these influencers that have their audiences or it exists as uh, uh, let's, uh, you know, call Kevin McCarthy a representative of, you know, uh, a Q California, right, or Q whatever. California. I mean, that's interesting. I would also point out though, that, you know, there is evidence that this is affecting kind of millions of people worldwide in terms of millions of people worldwide are actually believers in QAnon. I mean, I, I you know, there are a lot of polls on trying to gauge public support for QAnon. And obviously, you know, we can't take, as you know, you can't take one poll at, no. its, at its word, obviously, no. you know, but so, I mean, over the summer, Facebook released some data pointing out that there were millions of Facebook users in QAnon Facebook groups. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of people. That's definitely a, a large mass of people. And, you know, although the QAnon influencers are existing in these smaller spaces. Some of them have hundreds of thousands of followers on on these platforms. And, you know, you just just reading stories of people whose family members have become QAnon obsessives. It, it really is affecting people. And also, you know, like we said, the the reason that we have to point out that it's so dangerous is because it has been linked to so many violent crimes of people, you know, murdering someone and saying it's because QAnon wanted them to. And it's kind of this, you know, BuzzFeed News copy desk, I think it was a year or so ago now, said we're going to call QAnon a collective delusion rather than a conspiracy theory. And I I think that language is really good, honestly, because that's really what it is. And so for for most people who don't believe in QAnon at all, it sounds it sounds, quote unquote, crazy. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds absurd. And, you know, so so do so do most conspiracy theories. And yet people will people believe them. People want to. Um, and you know, I mean, QAnon is based in like 12th century anti-Semitic conspiracy theories of just, you know, accusing your enemies of well, being pedophiles I mean, and child you, murderers. Yeah, no, you, you don't, you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to go far from there's a cabal of people that are running the, running the world to protocols at the elders of Zion, right? Like, like exactly. there is, there is, there is, there, it's, it, it's a real short A to B. Whenever, just in general, whenever you get to, there's a group of people that are running the world. Yeah, boy, boy, does it tend to go real quick to to that to that endpoint uh, in 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 general, at least in my in my experience. Uh, It's true. I mean, most conspiracy. I mean, there 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 is a lot of research pointing that like anti-Semitic tropes kind of were the original conspiracy theories. And it's hard to find a conspiracy theory that's like 
not at all influenced by that societal norm from centuries ago. But yeah, so QAnon really just, it, but also in terms of your last point about, you know, how, how really pervasive is QAnon? Yeah. Like I was saying before, it's also, it's not necessarily, you know, how many humans would say, I love QAnon. It's also the small ways it's kind of made an impact and, and made little changes. And so it's, you know, Republicans in Congress being really obsessed with child trafficking and people, you know, suddenly accusing random uh, people and companies even of child trafficking, like the Wayfair conspiracy theory over the summer became super popular in mainstream circles, even among liberal people, uh, where people just thought that this Wayfair furniture company was selling human children on and its that website. Was, yeah, that, that was a, a conspiracy where they had a very overpriced like armoire, right? Like just mm-hmm. a, a large box that was going for like eight thousand or nine thousand dollars. I'm making up the, the the amount there, but it was like it didn't seem like Super it was expensive. worth that. And and the the conspiracy was like yes, because it would come with a child in it, and that that was the way exactly. that pedophiles were ordering children online. But even then, like I never saw anybody personally. And again, we're all biased toward our own experiences and everything. That was a story that exclusively existed for me as coverage being horrified that somebody believed this. Oh, I think that is, I mean, I I think that that's like an echo chamber thing because I personally, like, I swear at least a dozen people I went to college with who have no QAnon affiliation, who are largely Democrats. Yeah. We're posting about this on Instagram. That's how I heard about it and started writing about it at the beginning of July because I saw people I knew posting about it in the sense of, Seriously? oh my God. I can't believe this yeah, is the, happening on Wayfair. Yeah, so I swear. So, And I found out that that entire conspiracy theory was started by a QAnon influencer. And yet it made its way into the mainstream world. So there's also a lot of data about the numbers of uh references to that conspiracy theory on Facebook and Twitter, like before it was fully debunked. So it's, it's just, it's really interesting how, how QAnon kind of is able to do, able to spread these conspiracy theories without, you know, kind of the branding associated. I mean, certainly, certainly whenever, whenever you're playing in, I think we're in a world now where our reality seems very malleable. Like anything mm-hmm. that we know, we could know the opposite tomorrow. Like if if if, if, if we fair. saw the right evidence, and I think that that makes us a, a very conspiratorially prone. Uh, we're in a, a conspiratorially prone moment in our culture because, uh, in a world where anything can change at any moment, then who's to say what isn't true? Now. I would go so far as to say that it's highly unlikely that Wayfair is selling children in a box for $8,000. But like you said, uh, 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 you never know how far this goes. This has been a great conversation, uh, uh, but we've already gone over our time. So I want to thank our guest, Rachel Greenspan. She's a digital culture reporter for Insider. But I got to have you back on because this this was this was a great talk. Yes, please. I would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Justin. And that'll wrap it up for us today. As always, the easiest, freest way 
that you can support this show is to support our guests and let them know that you appreciate them coming on, taking their time out of their day to support this program and bring their views to you. We want to be polite. And I'll tell you what, it's going to mean even more when we thank Rachel Greenspan from Insider. So how about we all go over and head to her Twitter at Rach underscore Greenspan, R-A-C-H underscore Greenspan, the way you you would think it's spelled. And just tell her, thank you for coming on the PX3 show. Because I thought she was great. I'd love to have her back on. As always, you can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can hit up our Twitter where we're going to have our brackets at px3tweets. You can find us on Twitter, px3live.com. You can hit up our newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com and share our podcast at px3podcast.com. You can hit me up on PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury. You can hit me up on the cash app, px3cash is where you do that. I want to thank uh, our, our, our crowd that always gives me a dollar on Patreon. Eric, Eric Burke hit me with a dollar and said, not real money. He did that at justin-young-20 on Venmo. And of course, you can send anything you would like to me, including checks to P.O. Box 10853, Oakland, California, 94610. I don't know if I've said this here yet, but one of you Weisenheimers sent me from Amazon an actual box of check cereal, C-H-E-X cereal. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. You guys are the best. Again, that P.O. Box, P.O. Box 10853, Oakland, California, 94610. But of course, it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com if uh, you want to get the bonus episodes, if you want to get your name shouted out at the beginning, or if you want to get your name shouted out right now as part of our Titanic $10 tier, including Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Jason, the credit card a-hole, Idris, the government unfiltered podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Jacob Wilson, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mag, Zombie Doc, D-Really, Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Jan Middle-Aged, Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity Zap, D-Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anile the Third. And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, and appraisers are awesome. They join alongside Snuffy's Off Route 44, Alex, Archie, Olin and Angela, DL, Chad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, Jim, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. Hey, Treat yourself. Support this show. Support yourself. Support the fact that you're going to smile wider than a Cheshire cat when I say your name at the end of this show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Uh, that'll be it. Guys, I'm 38 years old. I'm on the cusp of buying my first house with my lovely wife. 
We're going to relocate. Big changes are on the horizon, but all is possible with those around us. I am privileged and lucky to have you guys at my side. And until next week, I wish you a fond adieu, a good weekend, and a reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about how Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.